Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. Yeah, that's remarkable. Alex, we formed a new podcast segment in our lives over the weekend. Am I, can I tell people about this? Do you know what I'm referring to? I don't, so you're going to have to refresh my memory. <laughs> well, this segment that we debuted on our trip to Washington, D.C. this weekend, it's something that requires your memory. It's something that requires you to learn, to listen and to learn. And this new segment in our lives is called Alex's Philadelphia Education. <laughs> That's right. I, as, as listeners of this show know, I have very happily hopped aboard the Phillies bandwagon uh, this year and, and every year in the future, you might say. I guess that, that uh, remains to be seen. No, I, th- I seem to remember you committing six decades. That was <laughs> yeah, like you are 60 right about years that. of yeah. your life, you said. <laughs> But um, but as I relayed to you, as I sit here, I get a Reddit notification from the Philly subreddit because I know that you're spending time on there for a shared Reddit account. <laughs> I I I divulged to you that if I'm being quite honest, I I feel like a bit of a fraud at the moment. You know, I've 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 adopted the the costume, but but I haven't grown up in the culture. You know, and I and I think that's not fair to other Phillies fans, nor to myself. So I'm relying on you, my Delco professor, to really, to show <laughs> me the ropes. Not from Delco. This <laughs> is not from Delco. I would not sound like this if I was from Delco. I would sound uh, more like Delco Dave, who has called into the show a couple times <laughs> yes, over the yeah. years, thanks to Delco Dave. Um, I would just like to point out how magnanimous of a person I am. <laughs> you go, you choose the Philadelphia Phillies, my lifelong enemy and you say i feel like i'm not i don't know how to be a true philadelphian and i'm gonna have to lean on you to learn that and what do i say i'll say i'll be your teacher (laughs) come with me we can share in the philadelphia experience and so we came up with um six categories and whenever alex would like to request maybe once a week and maybe we can do it on this podcast whenever alex would like to request a lesson on Philadelphia culture, he can choose from one of the categories, sports, political figures, infrastructure, food, regional phrasing, and potpourri. <laughs> political figures was not, I don't love that one. That's maybe just, a, like, maybe just like famous people, <laughs> famous think, Philadelphians, right. unrelated to sports might be a more accurate category. So like cultural figures. We've done two lessons so far. What were those lessons about? Let's see, I learned about, uh, about Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. In fact, I learned so much about him, I don't actually remember what his actual Come name is. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Not knowing his name is part of it. Ron Jaworski, former Philadelphia's quarterback, first yes. quarterback to bring the Eagles to a Super Bowl. Exactly. Alex learned all about him this weekend. And I then what was, lesson, what was lesson number two? And, and number two is when it's especially beautiful outside, you might be interested in, uh, you might be interested in, in taking an excursion to the beach. And you know how I would relay right. that As desire? Nicki Minaj said, let's go to the beach, <laughs> beach. beach. Let's go get away. But if Nicki Minaj was from Philadelphia, what would she have said? What would the lyric be? She might say, we're going down the shore. <laughs> okay, do you want to do a quick lesson right now in this cold open right here? I, I do. All right, what category? Are you, are you like ready on all fronts? Is there one? I don't know. You there wanna... might be like 30 seconds of silence that I cut <laughs> okay. out here, but the listener will never know. 
What category? I, I want to hear what you have to tell me about infrastructure. <laughs> Why is that one of the categories? <laughs> you made them. I don't know. Did I? Yeah. I thought we kind of made them together. This email came at no, uh, this five, was in the middle a modest 5.48 right? p.m. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was at 1.15 a.m., but that was a previous email. <laughs> the way that we produce this show now, emailing <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> uh, okay. Infrastructure. Josh Shapiro's recent win doesn't count either. I just want to say. So there are two large bridges in the city of Philadelphia. As you are aware, right. I think you know this, that there is a river I, to, to, the, <laughs> yeah, heard of it. to the east of Philadelphia. It's called the Delaware River. Right. One of those bridges is called the Ben Franklin Bridge for obvious reasons. You know, you know all about Ben Franklin. The <laughs> other bridge is called the Walt Whitman Bridge. Hmm. Uh, not because Walt Whitman was from Philadelphia. Okay. Not even because he was from New Jersey. It was because he spent the last few years of his life and died and came to New Jersey. <laughs> and they were like, to honor him, let's name it the Walt Whitman Bridge. So now you know the Ben Franklin Bridge and the Walt, Whit- Walt Whitman Bridge, the two bridges that you'll need to know if you're driving through the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> There's some infrastructure facts. For that's, you. Gr- that's amazing. They were like, someone. Like went out of their way to come die here. We need to plaster their name all over. The he town. died on the Camden side, mm. which is even more obscure <laughs> than dying on the Philadelphia <laughs> side. Camden is like Philadelphia, but with way less respect and way less cultural footprint. <laughs> Can you imagine what type of person that breeds? Yeah, seriously. My father was born in Camden, New Jersey. Okay, there you go. So I actually can exactly. Um, although he didn't really live there for very long, just a couple of years of his of his young life before moving to California. Uh, when I was a kid, <laughs> we were driving past the Walt Whitman Bridge, and my my dad goes, you know, like when you're you like quizzed your kid on something in history, right? I'm like, oh, do you know what? Like, what did Walt Whitman do? And my sister was like, wasn't he a president? <laughs> <laughs> and so we kept going with the bit. Right. We were like, oh yes, he was a president. And we're mm-hmm. like, oh, when 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 do you think he was? You know, what did he do? <laughs> Which president do you think Walt Whitman actually was? And we kept it going for about a couple hours before my sister realized that we were kind of laughing at the whole situation. Oh, so she had not clued in on the bit. You guys, no, you no. guys were, were keeping it going for her sake. Right. To be clear, she is five years older than me. <laughs> so <laughs> she should have known. <laughs> I was like 10 when this happened. So right. she was like you picked up on it. Like. Right. Exactly. So, um, not that any listener would have a use case for this, but you might. If you ever see my... Next time you see my sister, just ask her what her favorite thing that Walt Whitman did as president was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Infrastructure. Walt Whitman Bridge. Ben Franklin Bridge. Uh, we have non-Philadelphia infrastructure-related things to talk about. Uh, you haven't seen my list. That is... Well, <laughs> that's true. Um, we have a truly bizarre series of events for... The, for the Los Angeles Angels, what else is new? We have um, some follow-ups on the whole the whole situation that is the Chicago White Sox. And, of course, we have one of our favorite things. We have outside consultants coming in to help one of MLB's marquee franchises. We are going to talk about all of that. But before we do, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, thank you to this week's new patron. That new patron is Slicker Joe. Slicker Joe, thank you. Um, where would you like to start? You got the Angels. We got the White Sox. 
You got the New York Yankees. I'm gonna I'm gonna zag. I don't want to start with any of those. Okay. I want to start bridge talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to start with something I witnessed at at the Washington Nationals uh, Miami Marlins baseball game that we okay, attended great. together this weekend. Great. We took a little Labor Day trip down to Washington D.C. Past the famous, made famous by tipping pitches, Joe Biden. Rest stop. Not, not, memorial. not memorial rest stop. I don't know why I always call dead. it the memorial rest stop. <laughs> but that would imply that he's no longer alive, which some people in this country believe. <laughs> we saw a, a fun baseball game. We saw a baseball game. We went to extra Between innings. two teams. It did go to extra innings. I think, the, I think the Marlins pulled out in front on that one, although I don't quite remember. We weren't there for the 11th inning when the Marlins won. So that, you know, that... You can't remember that something that you weren't there for. Makes a lot for. of sense because I was a little worried about the alternative. <laughs> so, you're familiar with the, the, the hat shuffle game that they do on the Jumbotron, right? Oh, yeah. I am. Um, yes. <laughs> Who is not? What about it's one of the more fun moments of a baseball game. It you know? is. It's you, riveting. You spend $50 on a ticket to go sit there and the most riveted people are is when they look at the Jumbotron for a pre- pre-animated <laughs> hat shuffle. <laughs> right. Which it's, doesn't even yield you anything. You don't win anything if you get it right. Right, you don't. It's like that and the and the dot race, I feel like, are kind of the two. It's like, let's like, like the worlds of the baseball world. You know, the everyone needs race? like a little, have you ever seen that? Maybe, was this just a Coliseum thing? Maybe it's not always a dot. Sometimes they do like, Oh, like, like, you know, like yeah. actual races or like it's a car ra- or a BART race or a... Right. I mean, famously, the Nationals do the best do race, the, the president. In-person mascot race. Right. Yes. Walt Whitman. <laughs> <laughs> versus ben George Franklin. Washington versus yeah, Jefferson versus Ben Franklin. Right, yeah. exactly. Now, you can say that the hat shuffle is defined by two pieces of the game that are familiar to everyone who witnesses them, right? Right. Hat they and ball. A, a hat and ball. The ball goes under the hat. There are multiple hats. You shuffle them, and then see if you can guess where they are. I don't even want to go into the fact that the Nationals incorporate more hats throughout. I know, there are like, like nine Here, hats. Here's three more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Changing the rules on me. Yes. It's no longer baseball, Bobby, that they put under the hat. You know what it is? It's poker chips. <laughs> poker chips. I just like I did a double take when I saw it, and I I'm not. We don't have to talk about this for twenty minutes and pretend that it's reflective of baseball's slow slide towards moral decay. Although we could, but it is reflective of that. We don't have to pretend <laughs> anything, right? I know, I know. There's just not anything insightful that is not already observed by the nature of the fact that they changed it. I just like look what they took from us. Why you know? even play with a ball at all on right. the field? Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, take it one step further. Why even play at all? <laughs> Generate Why the whole nine innings. isn't all of this taking place in MLB's virtual ballpark? <laughs> Literally. That is really resonant with me because the whole time we were sitting in right field um, in the upper deck. And so, you know, our, I, I'd say the angle of our seat was a little strange. You had to kind of turn to the left a little bit to see home plate. So if you were just sitting straight forward, looking straight ahead, you were looking at the left fielder. And so therefore you were looking at the left field wall as well, where all of the ads are. And there were a lot of ads for normal stuff uh like products that you can use in the real world a thing that you could go buy maybe a thing that you could go eat a drink that you could go drink normal yeah. stuff um <laughs> right there smack in the middle bigger than all of them was an ad for a thing that no longer exists <laughs> TerraCoin. i know we've already had like literally had this exact conversation about the nationals before about how they're still advertising a 
blockchain coin that went bankrupt like 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. But is it just because in order to claim their money from the bankruptcy court, they have to continue to hold up their end of the bargain and that they're advertising for the, like what? How I'm, much money could they possibly <laughs> be getting from the bankrupt blockchain company? I don't. It's, I mean, I just hate that like every three months there's like a new, usually relatively small thing that happens in a baseball game or within a team that you can justifiably point to and say fans of the game are the ones who are going to be left holding the bag on this one, whether it's through a crypto coin that you could have reasonably predicted might go belly up at any point in the next six 12, 18 months. I still believe it's coming back. You think? By the yeah. dip. <laughs> By the dip. Or just like Buy shares just like of the company gambling. from yeah. the, nat- the federal <laughs> bankruptcy court. Oh, yeah. Or just gambling. That's true. Uh, <laughs> the gambling thing is gnarly. Do you remember? Do you even remember what casino it was? No. Is the ad working? No, it wasn't. <laughs> Great. That's that's good. Thank you for zagging. I'm, I appreciate that you brought that of course. piece of color to the listeners of the Tipping Pitches podcast. Right. Did you have a good time at Nats Park? I did. I, I like going to Nats games. The two I've been to, three I've been to. My big takeaway from the Nats game is that uh, the Nats fans love C.J. Abrams. Um, That was the other takeaway <laughs> that I wrote down. They love that guy. He got a standing ovation on like his last A.B. of the game and all the ones before it, too. Um, My other... My other big takeaway from going to a Nats game is that I do think that the Nationals have... I had a tough time phrasing this to you when I was trying to share this observation on the subway on the way home. Um, I do think the Nationals have the highest percentage of fans wearing jerseys of players who are no longer on the team. Mm. Of any fan base in Major League Baseball. Every single I mean, jersey that you see... maybe accepting the A's. Nobody wears A's jerseys with names on the back, though. <laughs> I guess that's the loophole. They've won there. Well... Excluding retired players, I guess. Okay. Like, of players that are still currently playing, <laughs> but are just on different teams. Right, okay, yes. It's like, it's all Soto, Harper, Trey Turner. I saw a bunch of Schwarber jerseys. Yeah. He was there for half a year, but that's okay. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, all this, all the same names that we've talked about, the Nationals dumped their entire, entire good team after when Scherzer, that's a big one that I forgot. Um I don't know. You know who? I didn't see one single jersey for Patrick Corbin. I was proud. Mm. Nationals fans holding it down. I saw a Hunter Harvey jersey, but no Patrick Corbin jersey. So what you're saying is these lobbyists are not fake fans. No, I think they're real fans. I I don't think that the lobbyists are coming out to the games in the seasons where the Nationals are like 25 games under 500. Really? I think that they're not going there for the games, period. I think they're getting the ticket for free through their employer. In and that case, we it. probably didn't even see them. They were probably in the luxury box well, that we had to yes, go down the elevator right to go that. around four different times to get to our seats. Mm-hmm. Nationals Park, not well designed. No, not well designed, not well designed at all. Very poorly designed ballpark. You have to go into multiple elevators. There's only an escalator on the one side and not in the side where the seats that we were sitting in. A whole thing. I had great chicken nuggets, though. <laughs> Glad. Can we talk about the Angels? Yeah. Another ballpark that is poorly designed and mm-hmm. not that fun to see a game at. Although Nats Park is fun to see a game at. I'll hand it. I'll, I'll give it to them for that. A- Angels, the Angels Stadium is, I think, the part... Okay, I will d- preface this by saying I've, I've never actually been there. I've never seen it in person. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing about Angels Stadium. Here's the thing about Angels Stadium. As Number someone, one thing. I've never, as someone who's who's never, never been, there. been there. But no, as someone who's only wa- seen it on TV, like it playing the A's usually... 
I have always found it to like be like when I was growing up, I would look at it and I was like, oh, that looks like a really beautiful ballpark, you know? And like, as I grew older, I started to realize that it's like, it's like what someone who has no experience with like architecture mm. thinks a beautiful or baseball thinks a beautiful ballpark would look like. Like it's got the like fake rocks and like yeah. waterfall yeah. in center field. That looks really good from like 10,000 feet in the air. <laughs> I bet it does. When you're there, you can like literally touch the fake rocks like you can on the backside. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it looks really bad. <laughs> I mean, it looks very consistent with something that's right down the street from it, which is Disneyland. Mm. It looks like that kind of faux actual design, yeah. amusement park energy to it. Uh, it's just, it's not as fun as Disneyland. <laughs> you have a better time at Disneyland. Especially given the team mm-hmm. that the Angels have put on the field. Um, it, Angel Stadium feels like like what chat GPT would make if you told someone to make a version of Dodger Stadium, but in Orange County. <laughs> Uh, the Angels cut everyone on their baseball mm-hmm. team. They cut all of the players. Let them go. Angels placed uh, Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, Hunter Renfro, and Randall Grichik all on waivers on August 29th, two days before the deadline to actually place them on waivers to give them, I guess, time to be picked up by other teams. Um, a few years ago, you know, the, the rule changed about the waiver wire trade deadline. Uh, it was previously that there was a trade deadline on July 31st for normal trades. And then on August 31st, there was a trade deadline that uh, you could trade a player, but through a different process by placing them on waivers and going down the list in reverse order of teams by record um, and seeing if any of those teams wanted to complete a trade with you for that player. This was functionally like a second trade deadline, because if you didn't, want to agree to the conditions of the trade with any of those other teams you didn't have to and then it would veto the trade or just nix the trade yeah mlb got rid of that because it was kind of like inconsistent and a a weird thing that players could feel like they weren't going to be traded at the july 31st trade deadline and then like huge names could move at the august 31st trade deadline like justin verlander's trade to the astros was a waiver wire trade deadline um all of that bureaucratic process aside that no longer exists. I'm not sure if the Angels really... <laughs> not sure what they knew about that. That no longer exists. This move by the Angels is literally was literally just them cutting all of those players that I just named. They, they are no longer able to receive anything in return for them. And the reason that they did this was because they wanted the salary relief of not having to pay those players. Some of them were, the Angel, were on the Angels' higher side of salaries for this past year. And, you know, particularly Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, they had just traded for those players like two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier. And so it was one of the more bizarre moves that I can possibly remember a team executing because you just decided to get those players. You basically, for the first time in your franchise, had decided that it was worthwhile to go into the luxury tax to try to just just into the first tier of the luxury tax tax to try to push Shohei Otani having maybe the best season of any player ever into the playoffs. And then Otani, it was revealed that he had a torn UCL and Mike Trout tried to come back too early and he either re-injured himself or realized that he was not ready to come back. And the Angels lost a bunch of games in a row and they were like, well, we're not going to make it. So what are we going to do? We're just going to cut half of our team. And 
they were pretty transparent about the fact that it was just because they wanted to get back under the luxury tax, and that they did. I it's it's probably like not true to call something like this unprecedented. Like I'm sure players, I'm sure teams have cut you know a handful of players um, when they were out of contention, but given that these are players that they just got that they just traded for and given how directly motivated by money and salary this was i do think it is like it 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 does not remind me of anything that i have seen before yeah it's very much a direct result of these new rules that don't allow you to make the august trades right which which allowed teams to say hey, our trade deadline push didn't really work. We've got a little bit of wiggle room here and we might be able to offload some of our, oftentimes like, like again, higher salaried players or players who did not have much left on their contract that it seemed likely would make it through waivers, right? That you'd be able to agree to a, to a trade with the team and there wouldn't be other teams in front of them on the waiver line who would say, oh, I, I want that player, right? Which is why they're not, which is why they're not cutting anyone who could be remotely considered to be a part of their future, right? These guys are all free agents after the year. None of them are getting qualifying offers. So it's a sunk cost for them, basically, right? They're like, and it's, and it's about the luxury tax, but it like almost isn't even, right? Because it's really about the compensation pick that they'll receive as a result of being under the luxury tax, right? They're saving like, a few million dollars, I think in the realm of like five or six million dollars, right? That pushes them just under. And it means when Shohei Otani walks this year and they extend him a qualifying offer and he turns it down, which he will, they'll get a second round pick instead of a fourth round pick. And that's it. Like that's it. It starts and ends there, right? It's just a cynical play to get a slightly better standing, get a slightly better return for wasting Shohei Otani's much of Shohei Otani's prime and you get to save a couple million dollars that can't hurt right I think you're right that like the about the unprecedented side of this again in part because these rules are are new but like this this kind of thing almost feels very this is the kind of thing that I think you you might have realized would happen you know when you start thinking about the ways that owners approach running a baseball team right is that they're not stewards of the game who are worried about how their moves will impact competition across the league heading into september heading into a playoff race right like you don't you don't have to consider those they just put five good pretty good players like on the waiver wire for anyone to pick up if they Mm -hmm. wanted them yeah yeah and like you don't and you don't have to think about that and that's and that's fine right you are thinking about your own team and whether you can marginally maybe get better for the next year but it is the commissioner's job to be a steward of the game, right? And when you see stuff like this, oh. that's like, well, I mean, <laughs> no, but yes, I but like kind of, right? Yes. Like, like they are in theory the only check on the power of owners, right? And oftentimes that means that they carry the water for the owners, but it also means that when an owner goes out of line and does something so craven like this, I don't know. I would think it would be incumbent upon the commissioner to say. That's not allowed. It's interesting because, like, they're so had the Angels held on to any of these players, most likely none of them would have been worth a qualifying offer. Qualifying offer will likely land around somewhere around $20 million for one year. Uh, for and for those of you who are listening who don't know what the qualifying offer is, like, when you become a free agent, 
your previous team can offer you um, a a standard rate that is determined based on the average salaries of based on the average salaries of players across the league as a qualifying offer, basically like some form of a a median or average contract for one year of services, and you can either choose to accept that qualifying offer, come back for one year, and try to work out an extension or hit the free agent market next year, or you reject that qualifying offer and the team receives as compensation for losing the free agent but attempting to re- retain them they receive a pick in the second round of the upcoming MLB draft i believe second round third round fourth round i don't really know you receive a pick in the draft none of these players probably would have gotten a qualifying offer the only player well, who i could con- conceivably think might get a qualifying offer because of his previous performance and because he is a starting pitcher who you know will be going into a market where the, there won't be that many great starting pitchers on the market would be Lucas Giolito. But I don't think that the Angels in 2024 would want to be paying Lucas Giolito $20 million. Well, I don't, think, them. I don't think they can offer them qualifying offers because they were deadline acquisitions. I think you have to be on the team for the year. Oh, really? To get the, I mean, otherwise you could just trade for stars at the deadline and say, and hey, we're not going to sign you, but I will <laughs> extend you a qualifying offer so we get 12 first-round picks next year. Well, then if that that... That then that even makes the point even more because then there's no there's no like reason for the Angels to remain competitive once they've already realized that they're not going to make the playoffs. Right. So it it filters back into this um it filters right back into this like dynamic, this cycle that we see all the time where it's like if you're gonna be rewarded for not competing, or if you're gonna be rewarded for doing blatant brazen as you say actions like this why not do them it's already in these owners personality types to not care as much about winning as they care about finances and so when you when you have structures like this where they're going to get two nice things out of something (laughs) they're going to get a better pick more future value and they're going to save money in the short term it's just it's like a no-brainer that someone like Artie moreno is going to choose to do this I just think that to me, like this move was so even beyond like what we've come to know as the modern baseball owner making decisions for future value above all else. This move felt more like something out of the 1950s where it's just like an owner who's like, eh, I don't want to pay the extra $5 million. Let's completely nuke our entire team yeah. for the rest of the year. Like team chemistry. We just acquired these players like doing right by these players be damned. Let's just get rid of them all. Let's cut them all. Almost like the type of move that you make when you don't have to hear feedback about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one was tweeted by Jeff Passan on <laughs> August 29th to much, 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 much response from fans and neutral baseball observers alike. So it's just, it was, it was like almost quaint in that way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and like they were not the only team to release a player ahead of this waiver debt, right? The deadline also coincides with playoff roster eligibility right so if you're on if you're in the team's organization if you're on the team's 40 man prior to september 1st you can still roster them throughout the playoffs right? right so that's so that's kind of where the timing on this lines up and and a team like the yankees waived harrison bader and called up jason dominguez right because they said we're not getting much out of this spot anyway let's use it as an opportunity to like showcase one of our young stars or give an opportunity to Try things out at the major league level, which that at least makes sense. No, ex- exactly you know? right, especially for a team that has struggled heavily this year. 
you can say, we're already turning our eyes towards next year, right? Which is not what the Angels are doing. They're turning the eyes towards whenever this hypothetical prospect from the second, from the compensatory round <laughs> makes the major leagues, if that happens. I think the craziest part to me is that they actually gave up like real, I mean, your mileage may vary on how well you think these prospects are going to turn out in the majors, but they gave the White Sox real prospects to get yeah, Giolito like and Lopez in the same trade. It was like a top trade. 50 prospect. <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> that's not good process. Like, like this is one of these things where it's not even process. It's no, just there's nothing. no process there. <laughs> it's just reevaluating your process every week. It's the kind of thing where like, if I had done that, I probably just would have been too embarrassed. I would have like way too embarrassed. There would, it would have just been the thing where it's like, well, why did I do that? You know, it's <laughs> it's like cooking a meal that I don't really feel like cooking anymore because I just have the ingredients. I'm like, well, I can't toss it. It's already here. Right, exactly. And then you're sitting there eating the meal and you're like, this meal's kind of mid, but at least I didn't just like rip it all up and exactly. <laughs> decide to eat nothing for the rest of the year. I don't know. They have just nothing coming down the pipeline. No. Interesting question that Jake and Jordan posed on their podcast. Uh, yesterday, who do you think will have a winning season first? The Angels or the A's? Like another winning season. Who will finish above 500? <laughs> History tells me it's the fucking A's. Exactly. Man. <laughs> exactly. That is what Jake said. Yeah. And then Jordan, who has a much deeper knowledge of different <laughs> different teams, like different organizations' depth charts, he yeah. was like, the A's don't have a lot coming. <laughs> It's not like previous years, you know, it's not like Billy Bean years or even like um, more recent David Forst years where it was like, yeah, they could cut bait with guys who were having like three war seasons because they knew that there were comparable players that they could scrap scrap together to have like 2.8 war seasons or right. something like that. And then all of a sudden... And they've scrapped all the, comp- the, the comparable players. <laughs> exactly. Now it's like the A's don't have... They don't have any reinforcements coming. And also, they don't seem like they want to find those reinforcements. However, what the A's do have that the Angels don't have is like any proven track record on finding good players that aren't named Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. (laughs) The Angels just haven't found any other good players. So, it's pretty bleak. Um, Before we we talk about, you mentioned Jason Dominguez, mentioned the Yankees. I'm fascinated to talk about your opinion on just the Yankees in general Uh and, and... where they are right now and what what the vibe is around the team. Um, but before we do, I, I do feel like we should talk about the team that is maybe equally as incompetent. I, I joked before I started recording that it might be good to just like rank which organizations were the biggest bummer this year. <laughs> and the Angels would be up there. The A's would be up there. The Mets would be up there. Um, you know, a couple other teams have had like really bad years, but maybe didn't have high expectations like the the Royals or the Pirates or like a couple other teams who like should maybe be turning a corner by now, but are not. None of them really compete with like those teams that I named and the Chicago White Sox, who whose owner came out recently and just kind of, you know, he he did a jam sesh <laughs> about everything that's been going on this year. <laughs> he had some riffs. He spoke from the heart. We learned about his favorite pastimes or lack thereof. It was a it was wide ranging. This came amidst the announcement that the White Sox would be hiring Chris Getz to be their new uh, 
senior vice president and general manager. I want to get that right. Dude, senior vice president and general manager. They love the White Sox love having a senior vice president. Mm-hmm. When they fired Rick Hahn and, and Ken Williams last week, it was like, who's Ken Williams again? And it's like, oh, it's the senior, senior vice, vice president. president. <laughs> they got to have a senior vice president. <laughs> we can't just have a GM or even a president of baseball operations. Yeah. We got to make sure this, this feels like a sales company and make sure this feels like an advertising marketing agency. We have to have senior vice presidents. Like, I think the senior vice president would be the president. <laughs> <laughs> it's neither here nor there. None of this was addressed. How many risk conference. analysts do you think they have? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to entertain that idea. We're going to get to risk analysts. Are we really? Well, I, oh yeah, that's I, true. We are. Right? <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Jerry gave a press conference, half hour long, half hour long press conference, uh, introducing Gets to the world. Really? Wasn't he already in the White Sox organization? Yes, Aren't they just promoting him? Third in command. And what you do when there's organizational <laughs> rot is just <laughs> go down the ladder Next one by man one. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, That's really funny. That's like the Mets being like, man, the starting rotation is so bad this year. Let's see what Joey Lucchese can bring to the table as next year's opening day yeah, starter. <laughs> should we push David Peterson from the five starter up to the two starter? <laughs> Maybe it just needs a change of scenery. <laughs> Should we get Tommy Hunter in the rotation? <laughs> so Getz is introduced as the new SVP GM. White Sox, by the way, do get a pass on uh, mm-hmm. on hitting MLB's diversity benchmarks for interviewing and hiring candidates right. because they've done so well in the past. Oh, they were able to like bank up some of that goodwill. <laughs> Because this is such a unique situation, Bobby. <laughs> so you start your account with $100 of credit <laughs> in diversity hiring. And, and Reinsdorf talked kind of at great length about the trials and tribulations of this season, this rocky, to put it lightly, White Sox season and, and how it's weighed on him. I, speaking of Rocky, I forgot to name the Rockies and the disappointing, the, bum, mm. the bummer organizations, just because I just never think about them. Yeah. I just saw that their um, they're RSN's shutting down this year, so they, uh-huh. they need a plan for next year. <laughs> <laughs> they're fine. They sell out like every game. I know. They're, they're so be good. Right. They'll be all right. Rockies are like... Montfort got it under control. Somehow always have good vibes to if me. There's one, like, even when the I vibes agree. are bad, yeah. I'm just kind of like, I'd watch. If there's one thing I'm going to do, it's trust Dick Montfort. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jerry Reinsdorf. I just want to read you a couple quotes from him, if, if that's okay. Okay, of course. Straight from, from God's ears. <laughs> Straight from God's lips to, to your ears. Is that the saying? Isn't it? I thought it's from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> well, no, but this is, this is from the God oh, himself. God's talking back. Right. Okay. Here's what he has to say. <laughs> he has some responses to some of your prayers. Here's some notes on your prayers, everyone. (laughs) The 2023 season was my 43rd season in baseball. It was absolutely the worst season I've ever been through. (laughs) It was a nightmare. It's still a nightmare. (laughs) Jerry's going through it right now. Embarrassing. Disgusting. All the bad words you can think of is the way I feel about the 2023 season. Those are the two words that he came up with. All the bad words you can think of. Embarrassing and and disgusting. disgusting. Someone get this man a thesaurus. And... I feel, I for one feel really bad for him. I feel for him as well. Yeah. 
he's I mean, he's just the guy who's just there to have a good time. He has no bearing on any of these decisions. He's not influencing. He's not meddling. He's like hands off. Yeah. You know, he's like, you guys do your thing. Well, I'm just going to give you all of the money and resources that you need. Well, That's my and, thing as an owner. And and also, like, he's been here for so long, you kind of just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. As he mentioned, 43 years, right? So if he says, this is the worst baseball season he's ever experienced, I'm going to take him at face value. That's his truth. We're not that here is, to invalidate that is, his, is truth. his truth. So the, the question came up then and was posed to him. Where is this interview, by the way? Uh, thank you for, for bringing that up. So this first quote um, came from Chuck Garfin who's uh, an anchor for NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, This next one comes from Scott Merkin, who's a White Sox beat reporter. On the question of, Jerry, would you sell? Mm. This is, you're in such dire straits right now. You were clearly going through it. Would you take the easy way out? Here was his response. (laughs) Friends of mine have said, why don't you sell? Why don't you get out? And my answer has been, my answer always has been, I like what I'm doing, as bad as it is. And what else would I do? I'm a boring guy. I don't play golf. I don't play bridge. Wow. And I want to make it better before I go. <laughs> Which way, modern man? Golf, bridge, or owning a, <laughs> owning baseball, a baseball team? team. The, the three hobbies. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so funny. You asked me if I had seen these quotes over the weekend, <laughs> yes, I and I said no. And then you were like, dude, you have to, you like started to tell, tell yeah. me about them. I was like, please like, stop, save it, save please it. stop, save it for the pot. I'm so glad I did because I don't play golf. I don't play bridge. So I must own baseball team. That is really funny. Although I'm going to be really, really careful here how I phrase this because mm-hmm. I don't want to, we live in a glass house and I don't want to cast stones. I don't want to throw stones. When people in our lives come up to us and they start asking us, when are you going to stop doing this podcast? <laughs> You're 70. <laughs> like, when are you going to hang them up? Right. And that's going to be, all, we're going to say, think, as bad as it is. I'm going to think back on this moment and I'm going to say, people are furious. They hate the podcast. They come to us every week and they say, please, for the love of God, stop publishing this. And I'm going to say, I don't play golf and I don't play bridge. No. I don't know the rules to bridge. No. And I, you I, I only know about two bridges. Even if I, <laughs> they're both in Pennsylvania. Boo. Even if I wanted to learn to play golf, which I don't, mm-hmm. I have such a bad back that I don't <laughs> think it's advisable. <laughs> I spent the first three hours we were in DC laying on the floor. You did. Okay. So I understand where Jerry's coming from on this. And again, I want to reiterate he's been such a good owner. He's given everybody everything they need to succeed. And repeatedly, everyone else around him has been the problem, not him. Right. They've been letting him down. In fact, White Sox fans are letting him down, too. Mm-hmm. Even asking these questions. Yeah. When are you going to sell? What? This is his thing. When are you, you going to buy? You can <laughs> buy more tickets. <laughs> How else is he supposed to run the team unless you personally send him a piece of mail with the routing number for your personal bank account so that he can have enough money to sign good players. It's so funny that he's just like, he's acknowledging that this is his personality now. You know, (laughs) his hobby is a stand-in for like his personality where he's like, I don't have anything to fall back on. This is the one thing I can talk about about at cocktail hours. Normally I hate when, uh, when people are like, I hate when reporters ask like boring questions like this or questions that you know they're not going to answer. 
they should ask something like more in depth, but I'm going to do that right here. Now I'm going to say that the reporter should have then followed up and been like, so like you don't do anything else then. Right. Like what was the last movie you watched? What was the last book you read? I agree. Who was the last person you met? who You didn't already know. No, I agree. We should catch them on the back foot a little more often. What was the last movie you watched? Uh, I think it was Oppenheimer. Wow. Did, did we watch any? We didn't watch any DC. I don't think so. I tried to get everybody to watch Superbad, but yeah, you were you were down. But then we were like doing other stuff, like going out to dinner. Well, like, to be clear, Bobby, games. the whole weekend was a movie. So <laughs> is uh, that the worst Gen Z <laughs> like colloquialism? Man, this was a movie. I hate that. That's not one of my faves of everything Gen Z has given us. What uh, what do you what are your feelings towards the the kind of riffs on that? Right, like. Man, this weekend was direct to DVD. <laughs> Man, this weekend was so bad that it wasn't even published and it just went straight to Hallmark. This weekend was canceled after three episodes. <laughs> this weekend was unreleased so that Warner Brothers could save money on their tax bill. Oh God, ouch. Can I read you one more Reinsdorf quote? And yeah, then we dude, can you uh, can read me a hundred more Reinsdorf quotes. All right. I got it. That's for the Patreon. <laughs> Uh, I think this is in response to him being asked about Shohei Otani, best what? player in the world, right? Just, just generally, like, <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, I think it was it was about hey, Shohei Otani, famous free agent this offseason. Wow, bold question. Would you bold again? The questions we need. That's true. His response: No, Otani, that's absurd. But, but, but uh, now I lost my train of thought. I feel like <laughs> Mitch McConnell. He said that? Yes, he did. He said, I feel like Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. That's not a fake quote that you said for him. (laughs) No, no, that is the quote. Oh, my God. Let me see if I can find that. Hang on. Now I'm reevaluating everything I've said and felt about Jerry Reinsdorf. Is he funny? (laughs) He's like clued in to popular events. Gets a cheeky little dig in. One of our elected officials. Wow. What was what were his political donations when you did that whole? Was he like donating to both? He kind of seems like a guy who would donate to neither. I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't remember, and it's gonna take me way too long to go and, and look that up. <laughs> I, he does feel like a a both sides of the aisle guy, right? I, I mean, if I recall correctly, I think that his footprint in giving is like pretty minimal, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is why, because he'd rather clown on them all day during press conferences. He's married to the game. He really He's is. And the game being owning a baseball team. <laughs> Poster's heart right there. Okay. Shall we move on to our final topic, which feels maybe like a psyop for this podcast? When I saw this come across the the way the wire. <laughs> I like talking about I like talking about stories that I see. Where like you turn your phone to me and be like, look at this tweet. Yeah. I'm not like talking about that like Came as if it's wire. <laughs> as if it's like storming the beaches of Normandy. Like you're hearing it over the wire and you're like relaying it to a reporter who needs to write it for the New York Times. The fax is coming through right now. Like you're never gonna believe this. <laughs> the Yankees are hiring outside consultants to address. Take a look at the analytical side of the organization, according to Hal Steinbrenner. Famously, the Yankees have not been good this season. They have underperformed at various points in the last few years based on the expectations of the franchise, based on the expectations internally of the organization. Um, 
They have not been to the World Series since 2009 when they won the World Series against your Philadelphia Phillies. Does that sting for you in retrospect? It does sting, okay. yeah. Um, And something that has been going on a lot, like, on Yankees Twitter, but also weirdly, like, within the Yankees organization, is that Brian Cashman, the GM of the team, who has been the GM since the 1990s, since the, the dynastic core four New York Yankees, he has been running the show. And he has been given a, a lot of free reign, the kind of tenure that you don't usually see in the sport. In large part because the Yankees have been really good for most of that time, and he's been a good GM, and he's made a lot of uh, frugal decisions, um, like on uh, around the edges, so that they can make some of the more obvious Yankee splashes that that we know. You know, giving CC Sabathia the biggest contract, and you know, for a pitcher in MLB history, like trading for John Carlos Stanton and absorbing all of the money from the Marlins and not having to give up that much, like. These sort of moves that we know that are the obvious ones, the Yankees have been so good at player development that you almost don't even notice like how well run they have been for the large part of the Cashman tenure. But now in the last few years, there's a there's a feeling of frustration and staleness to the way that they operate because they are not making as many splashes as they used to. I would say that the variable here that the only variable here that has changed has been Hal Steinbrenner versus his father. <laughs> In, in being the reason why they don't make some of these more obvious splashes, but because the Yankees have like a constant 24-7 news cycle, because sports talk radio is obsessed with them and sports talk radio is very quote-unquote anti-analytics, like there has been this never-ending conversation with the Yankees organization about how they rely too much on analytics without even like, without even diving into the fact that that doesn't mean anything. Analytics is just everything. Analytics is like how you evaluate a player. Whether people are what really... Really what people are talking about is like large data numbers, sabermetrics. It's obviously like a it's a it's a farce that that is the reason the Yankees are not beating some of these other teams. Like who are the teams that have outperformed them in the division? The Rays. They're using sabermetrics more than anyone else. Who who are the teams that have eliminated them in the playoffs? The Astros. This is a team that is famously dedicated to data above all else. Like that part of it doesn't stand up to logic, but I find it interesting how the owner can come out and use that dichotomy as shorthand for just hiring <laughs> what is likely to be like McKinsey, I guess, to come in and find ways that they can like slash payroll or slash expenses on the staffing side in order to do anything possible exhaust every single opportunity exhaust every single possibility that the problem isn't just the owner the guy signing the checks who did not want the yankees to pursue manny machado or did not want the yankees to pursue bryce harper or did not want the yankees to pursue carlos correa or trey turner or xander bogarts or any of these players that would have like filled the need that the yankees have it's like it is so Modern baseball, pause for necessary <laughs>, laughs about me saying the phrase modern baseball. It's so modern baseball of them to just be like, well, it it, it couldn't possibly be me. It couldn't possibly right. be the obvious answer that just involves like paying players market value. Mm -hmm. It has to be something else much smaller that only a consultant could come in and figure out. Yeah. 
I'm just a little curious how Brian Cashman has managed to weasel his way out of being on the chopping block himself over the last like few years. I don't ha- actually have a strong opinion on like how good of a GM he is or whether his vision for the organization is is right. But he's been there 25 years. Yeah. Right? Like that's a long tenure for like a good GM, right? M- much less someone whose success over the last decade or so has been middling to wow. say the least. I don't see okay, I don't agree. I don't think that his success has been middling. I mean, the team is like around 90 wins every single year in the playoffs every single year. It's not... Is it Brian Cashman's fault that they haven't won the World Series? I don't know. I feel like he's certainly not blameless. And if they fired him as a way to... Just to use your phrase, like revitalize the vision for the organization or to bring someone in who maybe has more of a defined take on how an organization should be run rather than like it seems like the Yankees are just every decision that they make is because they're the Yankees like oh it's for the institution of it yeah like they they don't feel like they can do any wrong and I think he's probably a large part of that but it's not like it's not like Brian Cashman didn't think it was a good idea to have Trey Turner on his team (laughs) or Bryce Harper (laughs) on his team it's not like he was like man we'll pass you know I'd much rather have Aaron Hicks back yeah. Like he's not stupid. No, of course. I I think he's a he's a perfectly fine and even good general manager, but it's striking to me given especially the Yankees, you know, sort of self-described high bar for their executives, for their players, right, to really stick around, right? It's I feel yeah, he's their longest tenured GM or verging on it. I do think you're right that like cuz like pre Hal, it was just like depending on what side of the bed George Steinbrenner woke up on, right? Like, right. like they were just running through GMs and managers, like kind of every couple of years reevaluating. Sometimes you'd get a guy who'd, who'd stick around uh, and then it'd be out the door, right? Because of this sort of, you know, they're the Yankees, right? We don't accept failure. We only accept greatness. And I don't know, man, I think the Yankees accept failure now. <laughs> There's my take. I, I think Hal is soft. I I like that take because I think that Cashman just sings whatever tune the owner wants him yeah, to sing yeah. in the moment. Like I think he is a very this is going to sound like a criticism of him, but I I think he is a very like political operator. I think he handles the New York media really well. Yeah, I think he takes the air out of like whatever storyline quote unquote is running on and on about the Yankees really well. Where it's like. There are there are obvious things that the Yankees have done in the last five years that are mismanagement. And of course the Bucks should stop with the GM. I mean the Bucks should really stop with the owner, right? But like it's not like it's not like Hal was like, all right, you have $150 million to work with. The Yankees are still running a $270 million payroll. Yeah. It's just that they have been less willing to do the quote unquote irrational thing than they were in the past. And so now every decision that they make feels like very canned and un, un and uninteresting. Like a, a fear for taking a George-esque swing and missing. Yeah. It feels like not to armchair psychologist Hal, but it feels like he is very afraid to be like his dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that, that he has to have some new MBA style 
management technique that his dad didn't have because otherwise people are going to continue to criticize him for just being the team that like throws around money and is not actually smart. Yeah. And the, the current climate of baseball is to not throw around money, to not just like randomly flash the wallet the way that Steve Cohen has. You have, you have to win on the edges and like you have to win via, uh, making frugal smart trades all of the time and that's the thing that we talk about and that's the thing that we reward and that's the world that like moneyball has created despite the fact that who were the moneyball teams losing to they were losing to the yankees who were signing off the good players it's like they have such a i remember Lindsay came on Lindsay adler came on the pod and talked about this where they it feels like they have this this complex about not wanting to actually be the yankees and cashman has just been around the whole time and has been willing to just be like, all right, fine, we'll do that. Okay, we'll do it your way. We'll do it. We'll do it that way, and I'll do the best that I can within the confines that you've given me. And yeah, it feels like a very. It must be. It must be. Must be a frictionless relationship between the two of them. Otherwise, yeah, I think he would be gone. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. That Cashman is, and is like an above average. GM who doesn't push back on the owner. That's like the the dream, <laughs> right? But it does put you in these weird situations because I feel like the last three or four years, we've seen these narratives kind of come up over and over again. And I do wonder when it reaches that breaking point of like your institutional weight doesn't matter as much if we finish like outside of the playoffs multiple years in a row or something like that. I think he's an above average GM if you grade him on the performance of the Major League Baseball team. Like, just above average. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's good, maybe really good, but he's not like Theo or whatever. Like, this, That's dream, right. That's this right. dream that the Yankees have that, that, that Theo is going to come in and save them <laughs> the way that Theo came in and saved the Red Sox and the Cubs. I mean, multiple fan bases have this dream, too. The Mets fans have this dream about Theo as well. They also have this dream about David Stearns, a guy who has like <laughs> gotten the Brewers to the playoffs a couple times. <laughs> fan, uh, GM worship is a whole different thing. I was watching the Padres-Phillies game last night, and there was, a, there was a guy sitting behind home plate who had a jersey, a custom jersey that said Preller, and where the number should have been, it had just had dollar signs. <laughs> God. It made me wonder whether or not we should really ever do anything related to baseball. No. Ever again. But setting that aside, I think he is above average when it comes to like the actual day-to-day job of putting together a 40-man roster. The Yankees have been good. Mm -hmm. I think where he is great is that the Yankees have been on the cutting edge of basically every trend of the last 25 years. They were on the cutting edge of like the international market of of putting pouring resources into baseball colonialism which has worked out really well for like the value of their organization. They have like three teams in the DR to every one team that the other that the other organizations have. They're like leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else in terms of international scouting and signing of players. And that has yielded a lot of like all-stars on their team, basically. I mean, like, how did how do you think they found Jason Dominguez, the guy that they just called up, who we were just talking about? They have been able to turn mediocre relievers into like some of the best relievers of <laughs> some of the best relievers in the league, like seemingly at will over the last ten years. So they were like on the forefront of you know 
pitching development and uh, maximization of like a pitcher's repertoire as well. I just think that they have made so many obvious mistakes. And then of course, you know, and then of course they're always like in the lead when it comes to like branding the team and like being successful as a business. And so when you, when you factor all of that into the rubric of how, how Hal probably thinks about Cashman, I think he's probably like, yeah, he's like a minus. Yeah. Where the fans would probably be like, eh, it's been like more like a C plus over the last 10 years. And that's just like the obvious example of the dissonance between how owners judge GMs versus how fans judge GMs. And the Yankees fans are just like the most judgmental of the fan bases in terms right. of the performance of the team and the performance of the people making the decisions for the team. Like they, they seem like they hate everybody <laughs> who is front facing. They hate them all. They're like, Cashman's terrible. Boone's terrible. All the players are bad. I hate this. At least you wake up and you know what you're going to feel. You they're know? 500. Like, it's I know. Not like they're the worst team in the league. But I, you haven't even talked about the like the outside consulting a- a- angle of this. It's the it's the absolute logic. It's the inevitable and logical conclusion to what happened with the Astros. Yeah, where they were doing things the old world way. They had all these scouts, and it wasn't working. And they brought in outside consultants to tell them that they needed to focus more on analytics, mm-hmm. and they needed to fire all these scouts, and they needed to use TrackMan or whatever. Right. And the Yankees, who have been using TrackMan too much, apparently, according to their owner, <laughs> they are hiring outside consultants to come in and tell them the opposite, the exact opposite thing, which is what they want to hear, is that we're using too much analytics. We need to go back to doing things the old way. It's truly hilarious. And I think one of the more, like for the purposes of our podcast, one of the more indicative ways of looking at the role of consultants in modern business, they just you hire them and you pay them a lot of money to come in and tell you exactly what you already wanted to hear and know. Yes. <laughs> it just cracks me <laughs> up. I know. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. The fact that this is happening so closely, coming off the heels of everything that happened in Houston, feels both like absurd that they can get away with that and also perfectly rational, right? Because you know what the Astros did? They won. And you know what winning does, Bobby? I have heard. It does fix everything. Man. I would love, I would pay, not like a million dollars, but like a lot of money to be able to see the report that the consultants draw up for the Yankees. I think that it would be like a, it'd be like a sacred text for us. Yes. Like the Rosetta Stone of this podcast to right. be able to read about the inefficiencies in the Yankees analytical operation. Oh according you know how to people Deloitte. get like, like the Declaration of Independence tattooed on their back? Like that would be, <laughs> that would be my version of that. So if anyone's working for the Yankees or is working for McKinsey's listening to this podcast, just let us know. We could get a, you on a secure line. We could meet in person. We could do whatever you need. Um, Okay. I think that does it for this week's episode of Tipping Pitches, Alex. A an important programming note for everybody. Well, first things first. Uh, obviously, this podcast is a, is a little bit later than usual. We appreciate appreciate everybody's patience, and we hope everybody had a very nice Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to everybody involved. Um, even though it's the co opted United States Labor Holiday, that's okay. We all get a day off, and we can talk about unions for a little bit. That's nice. Um, that's number one. Number two, we have a very important milestone coming up. I'm just going to reveal here on the podcast. That it is our 300th episode, which if you've been paying, you know, acute attention, you probably could have deduced this fact on your own. This is the milestone that is coming up. 
It is happening in two weeks. So it's not going to be next week's episode. It's going to be the episode the week after that. We do have to record it in advance, though, because Alex and I are going to be apart for when we would typically record for that week. And it is something that involves us needing to be in the same room together. I'm not going to reveal exactly what this idea is, but if you've been listening or paying attention on Twitter or whatever, if you're in Slack, you've noticed that I've been asking for short answer questions or yes or no questions to field as many as possible of these because we need a bunch for this episode. We've gotten a ton of questions and we're really thankful for people, but we do want to give people the final couple of days to submit those um, to submit those so that we can get the best possible questions for this episode that we're working on. So there's a Google form in the description of this podcast where you can submit questions for our 300th episode, the milestone recording. And we'll explain more about why we need so many questions and why we need them to be yes or no or short answer uh, in the future. Because we're being the change we want to see in the world and asking Jerry Reinsdorf these questions himself. He's going to be here in the flesh. Uh, I would... You know, I will be in Chicago, actually. Mm. Wow, maybe you can maybe you can hit him up and see if he wants to join. I would rather have Alex Rodriguez for this one, but you know, <laughs> I think he would be a better guest. Alex uh, Rodriguez is still on his way back from Burning Man, so... <laughs> Was he there? No. Okay, great. Um, which owner do you think would most likely be at Burning Man? It's probably Steve Cohen. He's an art guy. I mean, like half the Dodgers ownership group, probably. Oh, true. The Guggenheim. Yeah. Guggenheim baseball management. Okay. Well, much to ponder. All of the Phillies. Much. (laughs) All of the players. (laughs) Yeah. Castellanos. I'd absolutely think Castellanos, Harper, Schwarber, and maybe Marsh. Schwarber. Maybe. I think he's more of a like blue collar American than that. Yeah, I think so too. Marsh, yes. Turner, no. I feel like he would just do it for the vibes to hang with the boys. Boom, yes. Yeah. Boom, yes. Real Muto, no. No way. No way. Um, Much to ponder. Think about which owner you'd like to climb out of the mud at Burning Man with. Or not. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Listen, leave them behind. Leave them behind. Stevie's barking her way through this. She's like, no, don't climb. Don't help them out. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!